Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, the outcome of the presidential race has not changed much since my last podcast, although it does look like Biden's electoral victory may be a little bit larger than the three or two, I think, I believed initially. Looks like Biden may well end up with 306 electoral votes, which coincidentally is exactly how many electoral votes Donald Trump initially won by when he beat Hillary Clinton in 2016, although I think he lost a couple of those unfaithful electors. So I think in the final analysis, he ended up with 304, but he won 306 on election uh, day. And it looks like that's what Biden is going to do, although you know nothing is for sure yet. They're still counting ballots in five states. And all Biden has to do to win is capture just one of those five states, and he's the next president. That's all he needs. And he's currently leading in three of those five states. On the other hand, Donald Trump needs a clean sweep. He needs to win every one of those five states to win. And since he's trailing in three out of the five, you know, it's like the odds are probably worse than filling it inside straight uh, for Trump to win. I haven't actually calculated them, but it seems pretty slim uh, that you're going to do that. Although there are some recounts, I think, in some of the states. Uh, But at the end of the day, uh, this is the outcome that I expected. In fact, I expected Trump to be a one-termer from the very beginning. I said he was going to be the Republicans' version of Jimmy Carter, and I think that's exactly what he's going to be. Now, I think that Trump got more votes than I expected. So I think the polls, once again, significantly underestimated 
uh, Trump's support. But if you remember, when he won in 2016, he barely won. I mean, he eked out some close races in some swing states. And this time it broke the other way. Biden ended up eking out some very close races. In fact, in most of these close races, you know, the libertarian candidates got enough votes, Joe Jorgensen, that her total was actually greater than the gap between the winner and the loser. So who knows where those votes might have gone if she wasn't in the race, or obviously if we had ranked voting where people could have voted for Joe as their first choice and then maybe a Biden or Trump as their second choice, which is something that I would like to see happen. But unfortunately, uh, on, a, on a big scale, it's probably not going to happen because neither the Republicans or the Democrats have any incentive to make that happen. So it, it won't. But the results are not a surprise. And the reason that I, again, have always been confident that Trump was not going to get reelected, and I think the same result would have happened even if we didn't have COVID-19. And a lot of people think that COVID-19 kind of threw a monkey wrench into everything. But I think it would have gone down the same way anyway, because the appeal of Trump the first time he ran was that he was an unknown quantity. And I think a lot of people were willing you know, to take a chance on Trump. I mean, that's basically what Trump said. What do you got to lose? You know, give me a shot. Things are lousy. You might as well you know, take a chance on something different. And I think a lot of people were willing to take that chance. But I think after four years of Trump you know, you know, basically being the lifeguard at the swamp and not draining it, uh, he was no longer an unknown quantity. People knew exactly what they were getting when they voted for Trump. And I think that alone was enough to lose some of those blue-collar uh, Reagan-type Democrats that had decided to take a chance on Trump. Well, they took a chance and it didn't work out. And so now they went back and and voted for Biden. And so this is what I have been expecting for a long time. Now, I also had expected the stock market to sell off on a Biden victory. In fact, I thought the stock market would have begun to factor in a Biden victory quite some time ago, and that it would have already sold off. Now, we did get a pretty sharp sell-off in the week before the election. We got the biggest uh, weekly decline prior to an election in history. But since the election, or even a couple of days before, the rally started. We had a pretty big rally. In fact, the S&P, I think, ended up with its highest weekly close ever. It didn't hit a new record high on a daily basis, but on a weekly basis, I think this was the, the highest close. We had, you know, the, the Dow, the Russell 2000 were negative on the day, so we didn't finish off the week uh, with a strong gain, but we had a strong week. And I actually then expected, since we didn't get a big sell-off in the stock market on the anticipation of a Biden win, I thought that we might have a buy the rumor, sell the fact, and that the market would sell off once Biden, in fact, won. And that hasn't happened yet either, although I still believe that that's going to be the case. I think maybe it's a little bit like the deer in the headlight, right? That, you know, the deer is staring at the headlight of President uh, Biden and, you know, doesn't really know what that means yet. But, you know, by the time it figures it out, of course, it's too late because it gets hit by the car. And I think a lot of investors are about to get hit by a Mack truck. 
uh, in the U.S. stock market. And, you know, ironically, when I was going over the way Wall Street was handicapping the, uh, the presidency, the outcome that was considered to be the worst case for stocks is the outcome that we actually got, which is Biden as president and the Republicans retaining uh, the Senate. Now, of course, it's not even a guarantee that they're going to retain it. It looks like they will, but there's still going to be some elections in January that potentially could put uh, the Senate into uh, Democratic control. Uh, But it still looks like that that's not going to be the case. So we are, in fact, getting the worst of the four possible outcomes, at least the way many on Wall Street uh, were handicapping the race before we got the results. But, you know, it didn't take long for uh, Wall Street to quickly rewrite the script on that. And suddenly this was now the most bullish outcome because we didn't have a blue wave. And so therefore, we're not going to have a lot of bad uh, legislation uh, coming through uh, Congress because the Republicans are going to stop it. And so we're not going to get the big tax hikes. So we're not going to get all the re-regulation that we might otherwise have had uh, under Democratic control of both houses with President Biden. Of course, you could have said the same thing before the election. I mean, you could have you could have argued that that was going to be bullish for stocks, except I guess most stock market pundits didn't expect that to happen. They expected a blue wave. And so they wrote a script being bullish on the stock market, factoring in what they thought was going to happen. So again, they had to quickly rework the script because as far as Wall Street is concerned, everything is bullish. It doesn't matter what happens. It's bullish. And so now all of a sudden, this became the most bullish outcome and everybody celebrated by buying stocks. Except I think they're wrong. I think that the Republicans in the Senate are not going to derail Biden tax hikes. Taxes are going up under President Biden. I mean, he ran promising to raise taxes. Why would he not do that? I mean, that's an easy promise to keep. I mean, look at George Herbert Walker Bush, right? He campaigned promising not to raise taxes, right? Read my lips, no new taxes. Yet he raised taxes anyway. So if a Republican who promised not to raise taxes, raise them, Why wouldn't the Democrat who did promise to raise taxes raise them as well? He will. Now, they're not going to raise taxes directly anyway on the middle class, right? That's not going to happen. They will raise taxes on the rich. And if you think a slim Republican majority is going to stop tax hikes on the rich, then you don't know much about the Republicans in the United States Senate. There are a lot of left-leaning rhinos in the Senate, and they are not going to uh, stop a big stimulus plan that has lots of government spending and maybe even pork for their own districts standing on the principle of not raising taxes on corporations or wealthy Americans or capital gains taxes. So if you think that not a couple of these liberal uh, Republicans will break ranks and join the Democratic majority, in supporting tax hikes on the rich and corporations, so long as they're coupled with some type of stimulus that is believed to benefit you know, the middle class and, and the poor. So that is going to happen. Maybe the tax hikes will be a little bit less than they might have been in order to get the Republicans on board. Maybe they have to dial them back a little bit, but they will get enough Republicans on board 
to raise taxes. And again, they may not even need the Republicans, depending on what happens in, uh, in January. But more important than the tax hikes, too, is the re-regulation. Again, Wall Street has made a big deal about all the things Donald Trump did to reduce the regulatory burden on American industry. Well, don't you think Joe Biden is going to reverse that as quickly as he can? Whatever Trump did with executive order, Biden can undo, but he's not going to stop there. He's not going to just restore the regulations that Trump eliminated. He's probably got a whole bunch of new regulations of his own that he wants to add to the pile. I mean, he is going to get a lot of pressure from radical left wing of his party to push through as much of their agenda through executive order as he can. Whatever they can't get through Congress, uh, they're going to do on their own. So we're going to have re-regulation. We're going to have higher taxes. All this stuff is bad for the U.S. stock market. The only thing the U.S. stock market has going for it is the Fed. Right? And, and in fact, the rally really proves it. In fact, Donald Trump, one of his stump speeches or what he would include in his stump speeches, if you vote for Biden, the stock market's going to crash. It's going to crash like you've never seen before. That was what Trump was warning. If you care about your stock portfolio, then you better vote for me. Because if you don't vote for me, the market's going to crash. Well, the market didn't crash. Biden won and the market went up because it doesn't even matter. Right? All of this is spin. They're just trying to pretend Trump is good for the market. Biden's good for the market. None of that matters. It's the Fed that's good for the market. The Fed is providing all the fuel that's powering this market. The irony, again, is what the Fed is doing to help the market is actually hurting the real economy. Now, ironically, they claim that what they're doing is to help the real economy, not to help the stock market, but all they help is the stock market. And in the process, they actually hurt the real economy. And then as the real economy suffers, we get even more of the stimulus that only benefits Wall Street at the expense of Main Street. So it's a self-perpetuating spiral that everybody thinks is going to continue. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But as I said, I think when the deer realizes what he's staring at, this market is going to correct. We are going to see a decline. Now, how deep a decline depends on what the Fed does and what type of program the Fed you know, brings to the rescue, because I do believe that that's what's going to happen. I mean, that's the only reason that I don't think the market is going to crash uh, 50% or more 
uh, is because I think the Fed will prevent that from happening. It should happen. In fact, if the market went down by 50%, it would still be expensive. That's how overpriced it is right now. It has a long way to go before the market would actually be fairly valued given the economic reality uh, for the U.S. economy and for corporate earnings. But I don't think Fed is going to allow reality. It's going to prevent that uh, with the fantasy of inflation that it creates by printing money. You know, I mentioned that the stock market or the S&P closed at a weekly all-time high. Look at what happened to the U.S. dollar. The weekly close on the dollar index is the lowest of the year. In fact, it's probably the lowest of a couple of years. We ended up at 92 spot 26. The lowest we've been on the index all year, I think, was 91.75, but we never closed a week uh, you know, below 92. This is the lowest close uh, of the year on a weekly basis. And that is one thing that I did get right. I did say that a Biden victory was bearish for the dollar, and it certainly has been. The dollar was falling in anticipation of a Biden win, and it fell more on the realization of a Biden win. And so the dollar is weak, and I think it's going a lot lower. And of course, there were a lot of people out there uh, who were expecting a strong dollar, you know, particularly earlier in the year when everybody was supposedly going to rush into the safety of the dollar because of COVID. You know, you had that dollar milkshake theory, which I got a lot of questions about. I explained on one of my earlier podcasts that that theory was all wet, and I explained why it was all wet. And I think uh, the fact pattern is bearing that out. We have got a long way to go down in the U.S. dollar because everything that Biden administration is going to do is bearish for the dollar. And to the extent that we don't get as much in the way of tax hikes because of the Republicans in the Senate, the one thing we do know is we're going to get increases in government spending. And so the way Republicans like to pay for spending is through debt and inflation. So it's even possible that the deficits could be larger than they would have been had we had more tax increases on the rich. Although I'm not even sure that those tax increases may not have backfired and actually produced less revenue. But what I know for sure is that the budget deficits during the Biden administration are actually going to be bigger than the budget deficits under Trump. And Trump in four years, by the time he leaves office, he will have added more to the national debt than Obama did in eight. And I think Biden is going to end up beating Trump. I think Biden in his first term, and hopefully that's his only term, although I hope it's not because he dies uh, and we end up with Kamala Harris. Uh, but let's assume he doesn't get reelected and, and, and after four years of misery. But I think that the four years of Biden will have even bigger total debt than the four years under Trump. And it's not just the budget deficits, but the trade deficits. They're both the twin deficits are exploding out of control. So all of this is bearish for the dollar and the Fed is going to be stuck at zero. And who knows, you know, who Biden is going to appoint to replace Powell, I think it's going to be somebody even more dovish than Powell. I think it's going to be the biggest dove that they can find. That's who they're going to be, uh, you know, to head the Fed. So the dollar's got nothing. The dollar is going to get killed. It's not just going to go down a little bit. It's going to go down a lot. 
especially when all the people who thought the dollar was going to go up suddenly discover that it's going to go down. Why would anybody want to ride it down? Just get out, cut your losses, get into something else. You know, and it's not just um, the dollar that's going down against other currencies. Look what happened to the price of gold this week. Again, that's another prediction that I got right, although I still think I'll get the stock market right as well. I do think the sell-off is coming. But I did say that a Biden win was going to be bullish for gold, and it, it is. We've had a very nice move up in gold. Gold had been quiet for quite some time and finally broke out. We're actually above 1950. I think we closed the day and the week at about 1952. Now, we're still below 2,000, uh, but I think we're going to head back above 2,000 probably by next week. And of course, the strength in gold and silver was exceeded dramatically by the strength in the mining stocks. We had pretty big moves. I think the GDX was up better than 10% on the week, and the GDXJ was up better than 12%. Yesterday was the big day. In fact, the initial reaction to the Biden win was that gold and gold stocks went down. And I pointed out on the podcast that I recorded that night that that was the thing that didn't make sense, that if investors really understood what was going on, they would be buying gold, not selling it. They would be loading up on gold stocks, not selling them. And that's exactly what they did yesterday. There were many gold stocks that were up 15%, uh, 20% or more. Most were up 8 to 10%. It was a really, really big day yesterday. That's where almost all the gains of the week occurred uh, on yesterday. But I think we have a lot more days like that to come in these stocks. And, you know, we're still not on the highs. You know, we're still well off the highs of the year on gold and silver stocks. So, you know, the S&P closed at a, at a weekly closing high, uh, but not uh, the gold and silver stock indexes. So plenty of time for people to load up on these stocks. You haven't missed out on anything if you missed out on the rally this week, because what we've experienced this week is just a small taste of what's coming in the weeks, months, and years ahead. So, you know, don't wait any longer. Uh, just, you know, get on board this train. Right. You can do that, you know, by opening up an account with Euro Pacific Capital, by buying my gold fund at any discount brokerage house or working with my brokers to get into my fund, get into a separately managed account where we manage a portfolio of gold stocks or, or let me build a portfolio that's far broader than that, that has a lot of value stocks, a lot of dividend paying stocks, a lot of emerging market uh, stocks. This is what is going to benefit from the reckless monetary and fiscal policy that is going to characterize the Biden presidency. One market, though, that was particularly quiet on the week was the bond market. I mean, we did see a slight backup in rates, but nothing big. Right? Rates on the 30-year ended up at 1.6%. The 10-year, we closed at 0.82%, right? So not, not even a full percent. But the yields are creeping higher, although they were down a bit on the week. They were not down dramatically. And that is one of the things that's really going to complicate the Biden uh, presidency is going to be the upward pressure on interest rates and all the money that the Fed is going to have to print to prevent rates from rising. 
But of course, printing all that money to prevent rates from rising causes the dollar to tank and it's going to cause the price of consumer goods to go up much more spectacularly over the next four years than they had during the past. And I think consumers have already been dealing with a rising cost of living. They're about to deal with a cost of living that's rising much faster. And I believe the employment numbers are only going to get worse. In fact, we did get the non-farm payroll numbers that came out today, almost you know, like an afterthought. Normally, uh, this is a very big report. There's a lot of fanfare, a lot of anticipation. But you know, in an election week, nobody really paid too much attention to uh, the the jobs report for October. And of course, you know, the election is already over, so I guess it doesn't even matter, uh, you know, whether this is a good or a bad number because it's not factored into the voting. But the expectation was for a gain of 575,000 jobs. Again, you know, we're bringing back a lot of jobs. These are not new jobs being created, right? Don't let the media confuse you about, oh, we're creating all these jobs. These are workers that were put on the sidelines during COVID that are now being called back into the game. So we're not really creating new jobs. We're just restoring the old jobs uh, that, you know, where we laid people off temporarily because of COVID. So that's all that's going on. So we did beat that estimate. We ended up with 638,000 jobs. But, you know, the estimates ranged as high as 900,000. So we didn't come anywhere near the top end of the range, although I think the bottom end of the range was about 375,000. So it was a huge spread. Uh, in, in the number of jobs that people were looking for. We kind of ended up in the middle uh, of, uh, of what people were looking for. The official unemployment rate went down to 6.9%, and that's from 7.9% the prior month. That's a big drop, a full percentage point. They were only looking for a drop to 7.7. Uh, so however they were able to get that, uh, you know, the, they got the unemployment number to come down quite a bit. Private payrolls up 906,000. Now that blew away estimates of 650,000. In fact, that was even above the upper end of the estimates. We'll see if that number uh, ends up getting revised uh, lower next month. Manufacturing jobs only added 38,000. That was less than expected, right? And they revised last month's down. They initially said we did 66,000 in September, and that number went down to 60,000. So all these private sector jobs that were added were basically in the service sector, most are mostly leisure and hospitality, uh, waiters and restaurants. I have a hard time believing that those jobs are going to stick. I mean, maybe there was a little wishful thinking there. Maybe some people in the hotel and, and, and restaurant industries, maybe they were gearing up for some type of post-COVID comeback. I don't think these uh, jobs are going to be there that, that long. In fact, I think a lot of these workers who were called back into the game I think the coaches are going to take a look around and realize, you know what, we don't need you guys. And, you know, you're fired now permanently. I mean, initially we, we you know, we laid you off temporarily and, and we brought you back. But then we realized, you know what, we brought you back. We don't even need you uh, because this is not just a temporary reduction in our business. This is a permanent reduction. And, and so we're just going to let you go. And so I think there's going to be a big relapse uh, when it comes to unemployment and layoffs early in the Biden administration, which of course is going to put a lot of pressure 
uh, on Congress and Biden for more and bigger stimulus. And we're going to get it, but it's not going to help the economy. It can't help the economy. It actually hurts the economy. It is toxic to the economy. Every time they talk about stimulus, think sedative because that's what it is. They are sedating the economy in the name of stimulus. What they are stimulating is the stock market. They're stimulating asset prices, but that's not the economy. But if they're going to gauge the economy by asset prices, well, that's what they're doing. I mean, that's why Donald Trump, who was critical of the stock market bubble as a candidate, embraced it as president. Biden's going to do the same thing. What else can he do? Because, you know, that's the only trick they have, right? And so that's the one that they're going to that they're going to play. Average hourly earnings up slightly, just point one. So slowing down a bit. Uh, the gain last month was flat. They had originally reported up 0.1. They revised that to flat. They were looking for up 0.2 uh, this month. Again, got half of that. But year over year, there is still a pretty big increase, a 4.5% rise year over year in average hourly wages. The reason I think that happened is because I think more of the lower paid workers got laid off. A lot of the people in the service industry got laid off due to COVID and more of the higher paid workers who could work from home. A lot of these tech guys and, and people like that, they stayed employed. And so that skewed uh, the average hourly earnings. So it's not like people are getting raises. It's just when you take the average of the people who still have jobs, the higher paid people were more likely to retain their jobs. And I think that's what brought up the average. So in any event, I think the coverage of the jobs data misses the crucial point that a lot of this is noise. A lot of this is temporary. It's not a vibrant economy creating new jobs. It's a sick economy temporarily restoring some of the jobs that it eliminated, and it's going to re-eliminate them once the employers have a better perception of what lies ahead. You know, once they see that the light that they thought they saw at the end of the tunnel is an oncoming train, uh, they're going to quickly... Uh, reverse some of these decisions. And they're basically going to be gearing up for the next round of stimulus. You know, I think that if it's anything like the first round where you're paid not to fire people, what I would probably want to do if I had a small business is I would want to fire my people now so I didn't have them on the payroll so that maybe I can get bailed out. Um, because I, I wouldn't have to fire anybody. Although, I don't know, maybe the idea is to, is to get these people on the payroll because the more people that you employ, uh, the more money you can get by way of stimulus. Because I remember the last time it was you were able to get everybody's wages uh, and that was going to be your stimulus. It was a loan unless you fired people, in which case you had to pay it back. But if it all becomes a gift anyway, uh, then maybe that's a better way to gain the system. But I do know that that's what's going on. I think people are going to be more interested in how they game the system than how they grow their businesses. Everybody's going to be trying to position themselves to best qualify for the most government money that they can because they're not going to be making their money in the private sector by operating their businesses. They're going to make their money by qualifying uh, for government benefits. And you know that is a recipe for disaster because we want entrepreneurs trying to figure out how to get rich by improving our lives, by producing more products and providing more services, not trying to get rich by getting more money from the government because they don't have to improve our lives to do that. They don't provide us with things that, that raise our living standard. 
All they do is, is take from government. And where does the government get the money? They have to take it from everybody else. Either they do it honestly through taxation or they do it dishonestly through inflation. The government's going to do both. But I think the main source of revenue, at least when it comes to the middle class, it's going to be inflation. And all this monetary stimulus that does nothing but inflate asset bubbles is going to deflate the standard of living of Americans because the cost of living is going to go up. And even if you're in the stock market, even if the value of your stocks go up, the value of the dollar that those stocks are priced in is going to go down. And to the extent that you're relying on dividends from your stocks, your dividends are not going to buy as much. The value of those dividends is going to go down. You know, even if a weak dollar means U.S. companies earn more dollars, what difference does that make? If by the time they distribute those dollars to the shareholders, they buy a lot less. Earning more dollars that have less purchasing power is not a victory. It, it may appear to be one uh, when you're, you have these false benchmarks, uh, but it's not. And while I'm speaking about illusions and false benchmarks, there's no way I can get out of a podcast this week without addressing the uh, digital elephant in the room, and that is Bitcoin. I know a lot of the Bitcoiners out there have been giving me a lot of flack on uh, social media. They've been you know, posting on my Twitter account or my Facebook, kind of throwing in my face the big uh, move up in Bitcoin. If you're not following Bitcoin, we almost got to 16,000 this week. So this is the highest we've been you know, since that 20,000 uh, mark that we hit back in uh, 2017. And you know, so we got above the highs from the last couple of years. And you know, the next stop obviously is around 20,000. Now, most people assume that it's a sure thing that we're gonna get above it. In fact, they expect Bitcoin to get through 20,000 like a hot knife through butter. Now, as I am recording this podcast right now, we're in the 15,500. So we're only about you know, $4,500 away uh, from 20,000. Bitcoin on the week is up about $2,000 per Bitcoin, which is about a 15% move. Uh, so if Bitcoin can move 15% in one week, well, how long is it gonna take for Bitcoin to get through 20,000? Well, I think it's a lot further than a lot of people think. There should be a lot of resistance between here and 20,000. Even though we've taken out uh, those earlier highs, we haven't taken out the record high. And so I think that the trip to 20,000 is not the foregone conclusion that everybody seems to think it is. But also all of you out there who are making fun of me because I don't own any Bitcoin and I missed out on the big gains of Bitcoin, I may not own any Bitcoin, but I own a lot of gold and silver stocks. And as I said earlier, the GDX was up 10% on the week. The GDXJ was up 12%. Those are not shabby gains. Yes, not quite as good as the 15% or so move up in Bitcoin on the week. But you know what? I'm fine with that because I think on a risk-adjusted basis, I'm doing better. See, I think that there's a lot more risk in Bitcoin than people are willing to admit. I think that the odds of Bitcoin falling by 50% in a day are a lot greater than the odds of my gold stocks going down by 50% in a day. In fact, I think the odds that my gold stocks will drop by 50% in a day are zero. 
They're not zero when it comes to Bitcoin. Now, I don't know exactly what those odds are, but I think it could happen. And even if it's not 50%, what's the odds that Bitcoin could go down 20% in one day? I think the odds are much greater that Bitcoin goes down 20% in one day than my gold stocks collectively go down 20% in one day. Maybe one stock could, right? It has something bad happens, right? And the stock goes down, but I have a diversified portfolio. I don't think that entire portfolio is gonna go down by 20% in one day. So I think that I'm taking a lot less risk by concentrating my speculative money in gold and silver mining companies. And I recognize that it is speculative money, right? It is not my safe haven money, my risk adverse money that I am putting into gold and silver mining stocks. It's my speculative capital. It's the money that I can afford to lose. I don't want to lose it. I don't expect to lose it, but I realize that losing it is possible. Now I'm not going to lose all of it, right? There's no way all my gold companies are going to go out of business and go to zero. That's just not going to happen. Some of them could, but all of them won't. Most likely none of them will because I'm doing a good job uh, or I'm relying on a smarter guy than me, Adrian Day, uh, to pick these stocks for me. So hopefully none of the stocks Adrian's picking are going to zero. Uh, but certainly even if one or two do, you know, the rest of the portfolio will not. Uh, on the other hand, Bitcoin could go to zero or very close to it. Uh, so much more risk in Bitcoin. But again, Bitcoin is also a risk asset. Don't confuse Bitcoin with a safe haven like gold. It's not. Just because gold was up this week and Bitcoin was up, don't think Bitcoin went up for the same reasons as gold. It didn't. Bitcoin went up for the same reason that NASDAQ stocks went up. It's because people are gambling on it. People are speculating with Bitcoin. So Bitcoin went up with speculative assets, not with safe haven assets. The fact that both speculative and safe haven assets went up this week doesn't mean that Bitcoin is a safe haven. It's not. Nobody is buying it as a safe haven. And if you are, then you're clueless about what Bitcoin is. If you want to buy a safe haven, buy gold, right? That's what gold is. Gold is a legitimate store of value. It's a time-tested inflation hedge. It has served as money for thousands of years, and it currently serves as money now among central banks that hold it as a monetary asset. It is a tier one asset. Banks don't even have to take a haircut on their gold, right? Like they do on other assets. It's treated like bonds, like, you know, sovereign debt. So that's a safe haven. Bitcoin is a speculative asset. But if you're going to speculate, speculate with gold and silver mining stocks. That's what I'm choosing to do. And I think I'm going to make a lot more money on my mining stocks than other people are going to make on their Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. Even if there are periods of time, you know, like this week, where you're better off in Bitcoin than in mining stocks, I think that over a longer time period, that's not going to be true. In fact, I expect the price of Bitcoin to collapse. So I don't think people are going to make any money in Bitcoin unless they sell. See, that's the problem. People aren't selling. That's why the price is going up, because so many hodlers are just holding and hoping, and they're convinced that they're going to get rich. In fact, the arrogance of the Bitcoin community is unlike anything I've seen in any other bubble. I've never seen so many people so completely sure that they were right. 
and that everybody else was wrong. And not only couldn't they lose money, but they're going to make a fortune. I mean, it's not just that Bitcoin's going to go up a hundred thousand, a million dollars of Bitcoin. I mean, that's what they think. And if you look, you know, watch on CNBC, pretty much everybody that comes on to talk about Bitcoin is bullish, right? Everybody has got pie in the sky uh, forecasts, you know, again, but despite this, you know, go up to uh, Google uh, trends and search Bitcoin, search buy Bitcoin, how to buy Bitcoin, and take a look to see if more people are interested in Bitcoin today than they were three years ago. It's not even close. I mean, the interest in Bitcoin as measured by search activity on Google is no higher than it was four, five, six years ago. So to me, it's the same group of people that continued to buy or continue to hodl and not sell. And so that supply is not on the market. And then whatever buying is there is able to drive the price higher and higher. But the question is, how much longer are people going to hold out before they try to cash out? I mean, I think any given day you can start to see a wall of selling and then there's no buying because I don't think we've really expanded uh, the market. I mean, certainly people aren't using uh, Bitcoin as a medium of exchange. It's not being used as a currency. It is being used as a speculative asset, but I don't see that many new players betting on it. I think it's the same faces. It's the same people that have been around uh, for the entire time. Those are the ones that are still there. And they keep talking about all these new people that have arrived at the party, but I don't see them. It's the same small party, right? They just have a higher price on the Bitcoin. But remember, they got Bitcoin up to this price in 2017, and it isn't any higher. And if you go back to what people were saying about Bitcoin back then, by now it should have already been at 100,000 or 500,000 or a million. Remember what all these guys were saying back then, because I do, and they're saying the exact same thing now. So don't think that 20,000 is a sure thing. We can easily crash. And even if we get back above 20,000 again, which is certainly possible, I'm not saying it's impossible, but I doubt that rally would be sustained any more than the rally was sustained the last time we got up to that level. Oh, 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 oh,